Boy, there are just some songs that just bypass the brain, don't they? And they just go right to your heart. And someday that's going to happen. Someday, someday. Wow. I'll tell you, welcome to those of you over in the venue. And I know I was over there for a while, man. You had some wonderful music there. And we just had a song. I wish I could somehow cram the choir and the orchestra over there just so that you could hear that great song of truth. Yes, it was fantastic. It was saying fantastic and all of that. But it's the truth that's contained within that song that is just, just powerful. Um, hey, reach inside your program real quick and pull out that Pray uh, Modesto over in the venue in here. Um, our mayor um, is a, a believer, and there's not very many towns that will uh, call their city to prayer like our mayor does. Everybody has a national day of prayer or whatever, and man, you see some of the people that are at those things, whether it's the national one or whatever, and you go, wow, I don't know who they're praying to, but our, our, our mayor believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has called us as a community to prayer, and here are some of the, the things, the prayer focuses, the dates, the times, and the locations, and uh, I think we need to honor our mayor, and, and maybe you uh, will be able to show up to one of these and be a part of it. Maybe you can't. You have a job, you work, but you could certainly pray wherever you're at, and uh, just maybe keep this and say, you know what, my mayor is called me to pray for my city, and I'm going to pray. And let's make sure that we do that. He uh, terms out this year. So we'll have a new mayor, and there's a number of guys that have uh, entered the race. And I, I don't know whether we'll have a Christian as a mayor again. And if we don't, then you know what? Probably uh, there won't be something like this. But we have it now. And so let's make sure that we take uh, advantage of that. And then just a little bit ago, right over here, Lori Vasquez uh, fainted, and, and we, I guess she's doing okay. But I, I want to stop, and I just want to pray for her right now, okay, over in the venue. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your presence in our lives. And Lord, I don't know what's happening with Lori, but we lift her up right now to you. Thank you for those here that are doctors and nurses who could be a blessing to her and Watch after her, and, and uh, Lord, please take care of her, God. And now, Lord, as we look in your word, speak to us now, God, please, through, through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Knowing God, where we're discovering the truths about God or what God is really like. And we kicked it off two weeks ago. By looking at the fact that God is all-knowing. The Bible says in Psalms 147, our Lord is great, he's powerful, there is no limit to what he knows. No limit to what he knows. Then last week, we looked at the fact that God is everywhere. In fact, I want you to pull out that really nice card in your program. It says everywhere, you see that? If you weren't here last week, I, um, I'm printing one of those up each week. Well, I'm not doing it. There's uh, really Sharon down here. She's printing them up each week, and she's really laid them out beautifully. And they're, they're really for you as a reminder to, uh, of these great truths. And we just put a couple of passages there that show you the theological underpinning and then give you some practical thoughts as what it means to you. I'm actually uh, punching a hole in mine, and I got one of these little rings, and I'm putting them all together, and if God doesn't come back, 
uh, we'll have eight or ten of these things that you can have as a reminder of these great theological truths. And it's a tool that maybe you could use to teach your children, uh, teach your grandchildren. Uh, maybe you have a friend who's interested in the things of God. And this would be a real simple tool for them to maybe learn some things and a tool for you to help teach them these great truths of, of God. And so each week, Lord willing, if Sharon doesn't get sick, um, can't get sick, Sharon, for the next uh, eight weeks, you stay healthy, we'll print one of these up for you as kind of a reminder of each, of each week, okay? Um, now today we're going to look at God's power, the theological truth that, that God is all Powerful. This is what theologians call the omnipotence of God. Now, how many of you remember what Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, said when the angel Gabriel told her that she was pregnant with God? Look at verse 34 of Luke chapter 1. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man before. I've never been with anyone before. How, how can this happen? Beloved, that's a, a question that anybody would ask. She'd never been with a man before. And so she asks a, a, a great question. How can this be? Well, how many of you remember what the angel's response was? Look at verse 37. Mary, let me tell you how this can happen. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God, Mary. Because God is all powerful. The prophet Jeremiah said this, he said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, and by your strong hand and powerful arm, nothing is too hard for you. God can do whatever he wants. God has unlimited power. There's nothing that's too hard for God. There is nothing that is too difficult for God. Nothing. Even coming upon a young woman who's a virgin. Psalms 147 says, God counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. Job said this, Job said in chapter 42, I know that you, that's, that's God, can do anything and no one can stop you. <laughs> and Job's right. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, because God is all powerful. Nothing is impossible for God. In fact, let me give you two places where we clearly see the power of God. Number one, creation or nature clearly shows you the power 
of our God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's power. God said, let there be water, and there was. There were all kinds of bodies of water, lakes and rivers and oceans and seas. God said, let there be fish, and there was. All of those bodies of water all had fish in them. God said, let there be bugs, and there was. There were beetles and ants and crickets and flies. God said, let there be animals, and there was. There were zebras and kangaroos and lizards and dogs and dinosaurs. God said, let there be stars, and there were. Beloved, one theologian said, God is so powerful, all he has to do is speak, and stuff happens. <laughs> Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day, they tell the story. Night after night, they tell it again. They have no speech or words. They have no voice to be heard, but their message goes out through all the world. Their words go everywhere on the earth. I loved what Warren Worsby said. He said, quote, creation speaks a universal language to all the nation. Nature preaches a thousand sermons a day to the human heart. End quote. And one of the things that nature preaches is the truth that God is all powerful. That nothing is impossible with, with God. Now the second place you see God's power is in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't miss it. The, the four gospels are loaded with incredible examples or demonstrations of, of God's power working through the life of, of Jesus. Everybody turn to Mark chapter four, if you have a Bible. If you don't, I think it might be in your notes. I, I don't know, or it'll be on the, 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 the jumbotrons. Mark chapter four, verse 35 says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in a boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although there were other boats that did follow. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care? <laughs> we're gonna drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Beloved, because God created air, which is what wind is, air just moving real fast, <laughs> and because God created water, he has the power over them. Jesus simply told the wind to stop blowing, and it did. 
He simply looked at the waves and said, be calm. And they were. Imagine the scene on that boat or, or the other boats that were in the area. I mean, I, I've been on the, the, the Galilee. And the winds can show up very quickly. And they can have some, some pretty rough waves out there. And, and these were hardened fishermen. And so these waves must have been pretty large. So this must have been a pretty good storm because, I mean, they were, they were frightened. They were frightened about this, you know, wave, the storms that, that, that were coming through. And they wake Jesus up and he gets up and he says, be calm, be still. And now the Galilee is like glass. And so these guys kind of get together in the back of the boat and they're terrified. Who is that guy? Who is he? Did, did, did you just see what he did? The power that he had? See, the disciples, after seeing Jesus do this, they did the same thing we would have done. They were freaked out. And we would have been freaked out too. Who is this man, they asked each other. Well, today, we know who that man is. We've got the scriptures, so we know who he is. We, we got a greater understanding of who he is. Those guys didn't. Obviously, that was an incredible moment in their lives where they were getting a glimpse of who he was, or at least how much power he had, right? One day, Jesus was at a wedding in John chapter 2, and they ran out of wine, so Jesus simply walked over to some, you know, big jars that were filled with water, and he told them to turn to wine, and they did. One time, Jesus walked up to a tree in Matthew chapter 21 and told it to die, and guess what happened? It did. Matthew chapter 24 says this, Jesus traveled throughout the region of the Galilee and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and the people soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease or if they had a demon possessed or epileptic or, or, or paralyzed, he healed them all. That's power. Jesus had the power over the devil and demons. In fact, one time he told a bunch of demons to get out of a guy and run into a bunch of pigs. And guess what happened? The demons obeyed. Jesus even had the, the power over death. He had a good friend by the name of Lazarus who had died. And when he found, you know, when, when Jesus found out about it, he came to the place where they had buried him in John chapter 12. And he simply told Lazarus to come out of the grave. And he did. Beloved, when, when you can raise people from the dead, that's power. Yes, we see power in all of creation, in nature. Uh, uh, Clarice and I were just talking outside the, 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 out in front of Ohana Island during the, the service. And it's amazing what happens when you see a baby come out of the womb. Woo! And you watch that whole process happen. Creation, God. In, in a womb, and whoo, 
a baby comes out, you know, that, that, that'll begin to change people's hearts. You see power at work. And you see the, the power of God manifest in the life of, of Jesus. In John chapter 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus made this statement. He came to Jesus and he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This was a man who wasn't a believer. He knew a lot about the Bible. He had probably the whole Old Testament memorized. So he knew a lot about God. He knew a lot about God's word. And apparently him and all of his cronies had gotten together and they were going, dude, man, we know, Jesus, that you're like nobody else. We've been talking amongst ourselves. We've heard the way you preach. We've seen some of the things you've done. You ain't like anybody else we've seen come along. Your miraculous signs, the power that we see in your life is evidence that God is with you. Beloved, the people in Jesus' day, people like Nicodemus saw. They saw the power of God. Now, I didn't live then, and neither did you, but we have his word, his holy word. People recorded the life of Jesus for us in those four gospels. So though we weren't there personally to be an eyewitness to it, somebody recorded it for us. This is truth. And so we may not have actually watched the power of God in Jesus' life, but we can read about the power of God in Jesus' life. Let me ask you a question, and this was one that I wrestled with. Um, Thursday, I was sitting at my little chair and reading about some of the great miracles of Jesus, and there were lots of them. I just threw out a few. If God has the power to simply speak and, and create the world and everything in it, and if God has the power to raise the dead, do you think God has the power to answer your prayers? Now, I, I, now, now, here's the deal. I, I know you all said the right answer. No, nobody out there would, no. Some of you might have thought that. But do you really believe it? And I want you to know, I'm asking you that question because that was something I wrestled with as I sat in my little chair. My wife sees me every Thursday and Friday at home really for two or three hours, just kind of working some stuff through. And I was there going, man, God, unbelievable. I kept thinking about how powerful God was and all these things. And, and then the thought from the Holy Spirit was, Rick, do you really believe that I can answer your prayers? Is there, any, is there anything God, I can't do, Rick? Really? Do you really believe that, Rick? You see, I think sometimes in our humanity, we begin to think, well, man, this is like a really big thing, man. Whoa. When you really understand that nothing is impossible for God, when you understand that God is all-powerful, wow, it'll change your life. It'll change how you pray. When you really have that deep within your DNA, It'll change the way you, 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 you do life. Now, 
shared with you, we, we learned last week that God is everywhere, and, and more specifically, God lives within you. That was part of what we learned last week. God, Paul said this, he said, don't you know that your body is the temple of, of the Holy Spirit? Your, your, your body is what houses you know, the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives within you and who was given to you by God. Beloved, if, if, you've been, if you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if you've asked the Lord to come into your life, he's done that. He comes into your life. You become the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we learned that last week, which means God's power lives within you. The one that created it all, lives in you. The one who we see his power in all the miracles lives in you if you've given your life over to him. I want to give you two reasons why this is an important thought that, that you, you really understand. Number one, you need God's power to do the good things that God has planned for you to do. Now I'm gonna get practical here. Why this is an important thing to have God's power in our lives. Ephesians chapter two says, for we are God's masterpiece. Some Bibles say we are uh, God's workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The Bible teaches that um, before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eye, God knew you. And not only did he know you, but he had planned out some good things for you to do. There are some good things that God wants you to accomplish with your one life down here. Paul says in Philippians chapter two, for God is working in you, his power is in you, working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And what pleases him are those good things. There are things that please the Lord. There are good things that God wants us to do. Yes, um, we get to go to heaven someday. At the midnight cry, man, we're going home. Woo! In the meantime, while we're down here on planet Earth, walking around, you know, sucking in on the air, you know, eating the food and all that, God has some good things that he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to simply, you know, avoid evil. Ooh, I got through today. I didn't do anything evil today. Woo! That's how a lot of Christians live. They simply, you know, go through the day trying to avoid evil. And if they avoid evil, you know, that's a win. The Bible says that he planned for you to do some good things. And yes, avoiding evil is a good thing. And yes, avoiding evil pleases God. But I think sometimes we've boiled Christianity down to, you know, just somehow avoiding evil. And it's way more than that. God has stuff that he wants us to do, good things, you know, things that please him. 
And the only way you'll ever, ever accomplish those good things that God has planned for you, those things that please him, is by tapping into God's power because you don't have what it takes to pull it off. And neither do I. You see, Romans chapter seven, in Romans chapter seven, we're given a pretty incredible picture of the human condition. Paul says this, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful name. There's, my, there's nothing good in my flesh. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good. Those good things that God has planned for me. I want to do those things that please God. Uh, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do evil. I don't want to do things that will disappoint the Lord. But I do them anyway. I think we can all relate to that. I think everybody in here who names the name of Christ can relate to that. We want to do what's right. We want to do what's good. We want to do those things that please God. But wow, at times, isn't it hard? You love God with every cell in your body. You love God's word with every cell in your body. You long to obey God's word. You long to do the good things that God has planned for you. But for whatever reason, you just can't pull it off. As much as you love God and love his word and long to obey everything he says, you just can't pull it off. In fact, there are times when you do just the opposite. At least that was the case with the great apostle Paul. Now, beloved, I want you to understand something, okay? I really want you to get what's happening here in, in Romans 7 and in, with, you know, within your own soul. Before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, before you became a, a follower of Christ, all you had within you was what is called the old nature, the old man, the, um, the Adamic nature, which means you were controlled by your old nature. You were controlled by the old man because it was the only nature you had. But not only were you controlled by it, but you actually were in bondage to it. Now, you didn't know it at the time. You, you didn't know you were in bondage. In fact, you were deceived into thinking just the opposite. You actually thought that you were free. I mean, you were the boss of your own life. You did whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do it. And because of this, there was little conflict within your soul. Your flesh, your, your old nature really likes it when it's the center of attention. It likes to be the boss. It, it likes controlling what you do in life. It likes it when all of its needs and desires are fulfilled. And when the needs and desires of your flesh are fulfilled, you know, all, all taken care of, there's rarely any conflict within your soul. But there came a moment when everything changed. There came a moment when you surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ. And at that very moment, a cataclysmic event took place within your life. The Bible says that at the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you now. Now as cool and as wonderful as this is, it created a weird dilemma within your body. It created, you know, the ultimate odd couple. Because now living within you are two very different natures. The new nature, the new Christ-filled nature, which is controlled by God, and the old nature, 
the Adamic nature, which is basically controlled by your flesh. Your new nature, your new Christ-filled nature wants to do what is right. It wants to please God. It wants to live for God. It wants to be honest and sincere. It wants to do those good things that God has planned. But your old nature, your sinful nature, has a different agenda. It doesn't want to do anything that pleases God. In fact, the old nature is in direct opposition to the things of God. And until we get to heaven and see the Lord face to face... Man, the old nature is going to keep barking out commands. And those commands that the old nature barks out at us are in direct opposition to what God wants. Those good things, those things that please him. So there's this battle that rages at, time, at times within our souls, doesn't it? If you know the Lord. Every one of us can relate to that. And I share all that, especially for those of you that are new believers. Because see, you can give your life to Jesus Christ and God comes in you, but then that doesn't solve the dilemma. There's this war that goes on and I want you to know, every Christian, I don't care how long they walk with God, experiences that, you know, that dilemma. The great apostle Paul experienced that. You want to do good, you want to do all those things, but wow, sometimes you just can't do it, can't pull it off. Now, James adds an interesting layer to this thought. James says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. Beloved, you can do nothing and still sin. Because if God is prompting you to do something... He's prompting you to do these good things that he's planned for you before you were ever born. He's prompting you to do things that please him. And you don't do it, or you keep putting it off, I want you to know that's sin. As I said, Christianity is more than simply avoiding evil. God, through his spirit, moves us into action. And you can get to the end of the day and go, wow, I avoided evil today. And God may say, that's really great. I'm glad you did that. But you know what? There were some other, there were some good things I had planned for you. And you didn't do them. How many of you have ever said, you know, one of these days I'm going to get serious about God. That's one of the good things God wants. That's one of the things that please God. But some of you, you know, you just show up here on Sunday and every week, "Ah, you know, one of these days I'll get really serious about him. You know, one of these days, you know, I, I'm really going to surrender my life over to, over to him. One of these days, I, 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 I'm going to get baptized. You know, that's one of the good things that God wants. That's one of the things that please him. And you may have avoided evil today, but God wants you to be baptized. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and he doesn't do it, it's sin. And I'm standing up here telling you it pleases God. One of the good things that God wants is that you would be baptized. Oh, man, I really want to do it. I just get scared, you know. I just, man, I don't know. I don't know about getting up in that tank or the river. Ooh, what if there's fish? You know, what if I drown, you know? What if my life has been so crummy? What if God just leaves me under? And the preacher starts preaching. He forgets I'm under. (laughs) <laughs> you know, 
One of these days, man, I'm going to start serving, you know. One of these days, I'll, I'll get there. Hey, I want you to know I avoided evil today. Well, great, I'm glad you avoided evil. But you know what? God gave you gifts, talents, abilities that you would serve the body of Christ. We call it having your sweet spot around here. That's a, that's a term that Alan has coined. Okay, you avoided evil. Good for you. But you know what? One of the good things, one of the things that pleases God is that you would serve. Oh, man, you know, I'd really like to, but whew, I got to come down to that thing on Saturday. Man, Saturday, you know, I like to relax a little bit, hang out. It's my day off. I don't want to do that, man, you know. One of these days, you know, I'm going to read through the Bible. And let me tell you something, brothers, sisters. That's one of the good things that God wants you to do is read through the Bible. That pleases him when you read his word. And we've made it as easy as we can. Man, my sister over here, Nancy Barron's, puts that thing together every week. Put it right in your program. Got no excuse. We'll, we'll not only tell you what passages you ought to read each week, but we'll even give you a few thoughts to rustle around with as you read through those passages. I'm glad you avoided evil. But God wants you to read through the scriptures. Well, one of these, one of these days I'm going to get in a small group, right? I'll do it, but wow, I don't know. I'm meeting people I don't really know. I'm nervous, makes me crazy. But there's all this tension that goes on. You want to do, but you, you just don't ever get around to it. Beloved, God's power is available to you right now to help you do these good things. Read through the Bible, get in a small group, find out where you're supposed to serve, you know, what your sweet spot is. Now your old nature, listen to me, your old nature doesn't want you to do anything that pleases God. Your old nature doesn't want you to read through the scriptures. Your old nature doesn't want you to be baptized. Your old nature doesn't want you to get into a small group. Your old nature doesn't want you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities to serve the Lord. Your old nature is in direct opposition to the things of God. And your old nature is going to bark out commands. Don't do that. Spend time doing something else. You don't need to read through your Bible. Oh, you don't have to be baptized. It ain't no big deal. You see, the old nature doesn't want you to do anything that pleases God. And the power of God is available to you to say no to those commands that come from the old nature. Because you don't have the power within you to say no to your flesh, to the old man, to the Adamic nature. But with God's power in you, you can. Nothing's impossible for God. He is stronger and mightier than your flesh. And you need to tap into that power if you're going to do the good things that God longs for you to do, those things that, that please him. Number two, you need God's power to keep doing the things that God has planned for you to do. This is about finishing well. Some of us have read through the Old Testament and read about the kings who started off, you know, gangbusters, woo, and just ended crummy. Isaiah 40 says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even young people will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Beloved, because God is all powerful and because God lives within me, that means that God's power is always available to me. Not only to do the right things that God has planned for me to do, but to actually continue to do those good things, those things that please him in the future. You see, it's one thing to get all pumped up for God and be zealous for the things of God and really want to do God's will in your life. It's a whole other thing to keep living for God, to keep doing those good things that God has planned for you. Because you have your old nature, this side of glory, we're stuck with it, and it, it never gets tired. You don't have to do anything to get it, you know, up to speed. It's always, it's always ready. I have this little can in my office that my son really likes. He comes in, and every time he comes in my office, he always goes to this can because he thinks I don't remember. And if you unscrew the, the top, boom, a snake flies out. So my son will come in and go, hey, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. Boom, and I always fake it. Whoo, you know, <laughs> whoo, unbelievable. He probably thinks, my dad's an idiot. <laughs> I do that to him every time, and he still, he still goes for it. What is wrong with this guy? But that's a great picture of, of the flesh. It's always there. And at any minute, bam! It's, it's all over you like a cheap suit. It's always prepared. Always ready. Always ready for you to take your eye off the Lord. Always ready. The, the, the power of the flesh is always there. Just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, here you are today and you're singing these great songs and you're giving your gifts to the Lord and we're praying and we're hearing the word of God and the lid's on. Yeah. But the enemy just waits. Just waits. And boom, as soon as you take your eye off him, barking out those commands, and God wants to give you the power to not just do good things, the things that please him, but that you would continue to do those, those good things. Listen, I couldn't count how many people I know who really had a desire to serve the Lord and do good and all that, and they even started out well, but something happened. Today, they want nothing to do with God. Nothing. And the question is, is what happened? Why do some people start, you know, doing so well in their walk with God and then they seem to fade away. What happens? I want you to know, I, I, I sat in my, my chair Friday, and I thought about that. And, and the answer that I came up with, I, I don't really like all that well. I wish I had something fantastic to tell you. Why some people start off well and then just fade, fade away. Some of you have been around this church a long time, and I can think of some guys and some gals, man, who for, you know, weeks or months and, or years, I know some that even for decades, you know, they, they did well. And then all of a sudden, man, they're just nowhere to be found. 
They're just not serving the Lord anymore. They're not doing the things that please God anymore. They're not doing those good things that they started out doing. You don't have to read through the Old Testament and look at the lives of some of the kings to see that. I mean, we all know people like that. And so here I am asking the Lord, what happened? And I couldn't come up with anything fantastic other than this. I don't know. I think some people make an emotional commitment to the Lord, but it's not genuine, so they never really do have God's power in their life. They come to a church service and they hear a great song and, you know, and they hear a great message and so they come forward and they go into the altar room and give their life to the Lord or whatever it is, but it's not really genuine. And so the, the good things that you see were just generated within their flesh. And that can happen. All of us in here have done good things just, just with our own power. But we get tired, don't we? We don't experience that rest that comes when you're yoked with Christ. You see, I've got a yoke up here. And what a yoke is, is one beast of burden puts their neck through here, and the other beast of burden puts their neck through here, and it keeps them together. And Jesus said, I want you to know, my yoke is easy. Let me tell you something. When you serve the Lord, his yoke is easy. When, you're, when you've got your head in one and Jesus has got his head in the other, so to speak, he says, it's easy. I'll give you rest. So you've got to ask yourself, when somebody gets all burned out, and you know what happens? They pull their head out of the yoke and say, okay, I'll do this on my own. And Jesus says, okay, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And we have enough strength to go and do and go and do and pretty soon, man, we just get burned out, don't we? Because we're no longer yoked up with Jesus. We're now doing things under our own power. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You stay yoked up to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. So if you're not experiencing any rest for your souls... It's not Jesus' fault. You need to say, man, I, I've disconnected myself from the yoke of Christ. I think for some people, you know what, they just really don't even know the Lord. Much like Judas. Some people say, well, you know, Judas lost his salvation. No, he didn't. He didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. There was nothing genuine about his walk with God. Yes, he knew a lot about Jesus, and yes, he hung out with Jesus, and yes, they even bumped into each other and had meals together. But he never gave his life to Christ. It wasn't genuine. I think for other people, they start off well, and then they see how their one life is impacting other people, and you know what happens? They get prideful. Yeah, their decision was genuine, and then all of a sudden they begin to, you know, think more highly than themselves and they ought to think. And nothing will cut off God's power source to your life like pride. I think for others, they simply forget to daily recognize God's presence in their lives. And so they slowly move from a place of trusting God. It's a slow process. You know, you get busy raising the kids, you get busy doing your job, you start a new business, and you just kind of get busy, and all of a sudden, yeah, you come to church, but now your daily 
you know, prayers are, aren't, aren't there as like they used to be. You're not reading the scriptures like you used to. You're, you know, you're not in fellowship like you. It was a, it's a slow process. And the next thing you know, you don't even realize you've disconnected yourself from the, from the yoke of Christ. I don't really have all the answers as to why some people fade away, but I do know one thing for sure, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he lives inside of you, which means his power is available to you, not only to help you do the good things that please God, but to help you continue to do the good things that please God. Now, no one's going to do it perfectly, this side of glory. Nobody. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, man, I, I want to know Christ. I want to have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I really want to know him in a deep way and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This was Paul's goal in life, I think. He not only wanted to know God, but he wanted to experience God's power in his life. And I want you to know, beloved, so do I. I got down in my office as I read this and said, God, I want that. I want to experience your power in my life. God, not only do I want to know you in a deeper way, but God, I want to experience your power. Please. And I believe if you know the Lord, that's probably what you want too. I can't think of anybody who doesn't want to experience that. I, I can't think of anybody who doesn't want that same thing that Paul says he wanted. But here's the deal. It's not automatic, is it? <laughs> It just doesn't happen. So as I wrap this up, let me just give you a couple thoughts on how you can really experience God's power in your life. Maybe for the, for the first time, or maybe just to get it back again, maybe you're not experiencing God's power in your life anyway. Number one, just real quickly, you have to really believe that God wants to give you his power. See, I, I, I look at how some Christians live, and I say, you know what? They don't really believe that God wants to give them their power. Our brother James said this, but when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown up and down by the wind. But such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time, and they can't decide what to do about anything. Those kinds of people, those that really don't believe, should not think that they'll receive anything from the Lord. You gotta believe. Mark, uh, Jesus in Mark chapter nine, Jesus said everything is possible for him who believes. Do you really believe that God wants to give you his power? Do you really believe that? Yes, we see the power in, of God in nature. And yes, we see Jesus, you know, the power of God through the life of Jesus. And the Bible says that he lives in you. And Paul said, I want to experience that power. Do you really believe that God wants to give you that power. Too many times I think we limit God's power because we don't believe. I think God's going, man, I got all this power, man, and I want to unleash it through your one life, but you don't really believe. Number two, you have to live humbly before God. You got to believe and you got to live humbly before God. James goes on to say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. And you can be a follower of Christ and get full of pride and be in opposition to God. It doesn't ruin your mess up your salvation. That's a done deal. 
But you can be in opposition to God. So James says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If you come close to God, he'll come close to you. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, God is against the proud. He's against it. But he'll give grace. He'll give power to the humble. Humble yourself under God's powerful hand so that he'll lift you up at the right time. Look, you gotta really believe, beloved. You gotta believe over there in the venue. You gotta believe that God wants to give you his power. But then you have to live humbly before him because he's not gonna give you his power if, if you're just full of, of pride. And I think part of living humbly before the Lord is recognizing and admitting your lack of power. You have to admit that you don't have it all together. You see, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians think that they're omnipotent. I can handle anything. At least that's how they live. I can do anything. I don't need anybody's help. I'm omnipotent. I'm all powerful. And that's the way a lot of Christians live. They'll tell you God is all powerful and all that, but you know what? They live in a way that says, no, 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 you don't live like, you live like you're omnipotent. And part of humility is saying, you know what, I I don't have it all together. I don't have the power to pull this off. God, I I am weak. I need your power in my life. Psalm 6 says this. I'm worn out, O Lord. Have pity on me. Give me strength. I'm completely exhausted and my whole body is deeply troubled. (laughs) Beloved, that's the heart of a humble person. Because, oh God, I've I've disconnected myself (laughs) From your yoke. Oh man, I am just exhausted. Help me, God. Help me. That's humility. When you just recognize that, man, you don't have what it takes to, to, to pull it off. And at the moment you come to God in humility, man, God's right there to hold you up. He'll give you the power you need to come and and pull off whatever it is he wants you to do. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, God said to me, where there is weakness, my power is shown more completely. Therefore, I have cheerfully made up my mind to be proud of my weaknesses because they mean a deeper experience of Christ's power. For my very weaknesses make me strong in him. Beloved, Pride short-circuits God's power in your life. And it's humility that connects you back together. Now, I got one more. It ain't on your notes. So keep your pencils out. And this is a third thought. Yeah, you got to believe. And yes, you have to be humble. But, but we had a man come by the name of Chuck Miller this past week. And he, he's been a great influence in my life. And he spoke to our entire staff and all of the administrative assistants. And a lot of volunteers were able to come. And he, he made a statement. That, that stuck with me. He talked about the idea that we as believers have to take a, a faith step. A faith step. And as I sat there, I was going, wow, a faith step. A faith step. It got me thinking, yes, you have to believe. You have to really believe that God wants to give you his power. And yes, you have to live humbly before him, but you also have to take a faith step. You got to step out in advance before God unleashes his power in your life. In other words, God wants you to act as if you got the power, even though you don't have the power, because when you act like you got the power, that's when he gives you the power. And when you read through the scriptures, you see that principle. 
I, I, I read the story of King David when he was but a child. And he's in that, in the camp of the Israeli army, and there's Goliath, you know, taunting God and taunting God's army. And here's this young kid. And dude, I'll take that guy on. God's powerful enough. I'll do it, man. I know right now God's in my life, and I'll take that guy on, man. I'll poke him in the eye, man. What are you guys all doing? See, easy to do that. There's a lot of Christians who will talk a great talk, and they'll, they'll tell you they believe in God, and they'll even act, you know, in a humble way. And that little guy could have gone, man, he's a loser. God's with me. I'll take him on, and then just sat down in a chair and done nothing. But you know what that guy did? He took a faith step. Not only did he say, I, I believe God's with me. I'll, I'll tell you what, that's bad. I'm going to take that guy on. But then he goes, hey, where's my slingshot? And there he runs out where all these big soldiers, mighty soldiers, trained Green Beret, you know, are up there and cowering. And here's a kid who takes a faith step and he not only talks about it and believes that God's going to give him his power, not only did he live humbly before the Lord, but he steps out and says, here we go. Now, what if he would have nicked him? Really ticked the guy off. You know? Ah, man, that's a bummer. Help! But he, you know what? He just took a faith step. Maybe he was going, dude, that's got a chance. You know? He's human, you know? And dude, boom, that hit him, didn't it? You know? And everybody's up on the bank going, I think that rock just hit him square in the forehead. I, that's unbelievable. And all of a sudden the guy's getting a little wobbly. Oh my. And boom. We never, listen, we, we wouldn't talk about King David the way we did, the way we do. If that guy doesn't take a faith step. It would, who would record that in scripture? A guy talking a big talk and then never doing anything. You see, some of you right now are waiting for God to do a miracle in your life. And here's, here's the funny thing. You're waiting on God and God's waiting on you. Yes, you believe. And yes, you're living humbly. But God tends to release his power when he sees one of his people in faith step out and go, here I go. Here I go. Remember Joshua? Hey guys, you gotta step into the Jordan River. And when you step into the Jordan River, I'll plug it up. It had been easy for God to go, look, I got it all plugged up, man. Just go ahead and get in it. They had to take the faith step. You sure about this? I'm sure. And there they are. Maybe they're into their ankles. I don't know. Maybe it's up to their thighs. <laughs> and guess what God does? They took a faith step, and God plugs up the Jordan so that they could walk across in safety. Why don't you just close your eyes for a second? Just close your eyes. And Pastor Scott's going to come, and he's going to pray. Over in the venue, close your eyes. And while your eyes are closed, just let me ask you a question. What, what, what good is God's power if you never take advantage of it? What good is it? 
Do you really believe that God is wanting to give you his power, yes or no? I want you to really think about that. Do, do you really believe that God wants to give you his power? Yes or no? Just think about it. Are you, are you living humbly before the, before the Lord? Yes or no? For some of you, maybe you need to go into the altar room and say, you know what? I don't really believe God wants to give me his power. Help me. Pray for me, pastor. Pray for me, elders. Maybe right now there's a lot of pride in your life and you want to go in there and, and the altar room can, can become a place of confession or repentance for you. And you can go in and say, I need to repent. Pray for me. I have a lot of pride in my life. Are you willing to take a faith step? Yes or no? Scared to get a handle on, 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 on the, that addiction of, of yours? You know, you're struggling with alcohol, you're struggling with pornography, meth, amphetamines, wh whatever it is. You're, you're, you got anger, but, but you're afraid to take a step and come down here on Tuesday because people will think crummy things about you. That's the good thing God wants you to do, but you're afraid. You're afraid to go into the altar room and say, I want to get baptized because you don't know what's going to happen and you're afraid. Right, will you take a, a faith step? Man, I don't know. I don't know about giving, you know. I, I need every nickel I got. Are you willing to take a faith step and trust God? I don't know what it is in your life. But if you really believe and you're living humbly before the Lord, maybe God's wanting you to take that faith step. 